Good morning. Welcome to Wanderings. This is Syl Stenman alongside Sandy Washington, and we are extremely happy to welcome Jill Vitale. Awesome. It's great to have you here, Jill, and uh, we have a lot of questions. What are you wondering about, Sandy? I'm wondering about a lot of things. I have lots of questions. But I'm so happy to have Jill here because Marge and David were always on my floor, second floor north, and I saw them often, and I saw your mom and dad often. So it's a real pleasure to have you with us. It's a pleasure to be here with you. Thank you. Yes. We have a lot to talk about, but, uh, you know, I'd like to start out with, uh, just tell us where you were born, but then I have another question right after that. And in the size of your family growing up, tell us about your family in those early days. Oh, sure. So I was born in Sayre, Pennsylvania, um, and... We gr- I grew up, I spent a lot of uh, my younger years um, in the York, um, Pennsylvania area, and then we moved to western New York. So I have an older sister and a younger brother. And do they live anywhere near you that you get to see them? My brother lives exactly 74 seconds away by car, <laughs> oh um, and his wife and, and his two kids, and then my sister still lives, she lives in the Finger Lakes area of, of New York. So I talk to her a lot, but I don't get to see her as often as I, as I would like. Right, it's right. a beautiful area. It is. It's gorgeous in the summertime, not the so summertime. much in the winter. <laughs> in the summer, <laughs> too much work in the winter. Yes. So, what was your very first job? My very first job was as a, what we used to call a dietary aide in a nursing home when I was in high school. So, and how old were you? I so I must have been. I think I was sixteen. Mm -hmm. Um, And I worked in the kitchen and did whatever the cooks told me to do. Um, And, you know, that was, it was a, as you would imagine back in the 1980s, it was a kind of one of those, it was a good place, but very institutional. And so as as I wrote about in my book, you know, I remember Mm -hmm. making pureed food for people. Tell us about that because I was, I... I almost couldn't touch the book after I know, (laughs) I know. So back in in those days, um, a lot of people had what's called a puree diet, um, Mm -hmm. which, and unfortunately, people were fed with syringes. So It's just incredible. I was like, that looks like a turkey baster that my mom had in the kitchen. And um, because it was faster, I think that's why, right? It was faster to feed people that way. And so I remember whatever was on the menu got put in the blender together. And so I, and things have changed so much, thank goodness, since that time. But I I remember one day in particular, it was, the menu was chicken noodle soup and peanut butter and jelly sandwiches. And everything went in the blender together. And that's what people ate. Yeah, so it wasn't, it was not, I I think everybody, I think everybody was doing the best they knew how at the time, Mm -hmm. but it wasn't good enough, clearly. Um, but that was my first introduction to to aging services. Well, isn't it amazing that you kept going? <laughs> <laughs> yes, it is. Yes, it is. How long were you at that job? Oh gosh, I don't. I don't know if it was a year or two. Uh-huh. I don't remember. And Not then, sure. what did you do after that? Um, well, by then I graduated from high school. Mm-hmm. And I wasn't ready to go to college at the time. If you see my dad, he'll tell you she wasn't ready to go to college. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so I worked at Kmart. If you remember Kmart back sure. in those days, sure. I worked there um, for a year. Uh, 
and I actually worked in the receiving department. So I helped unload trucks. You were doing manual I was, and putting price tags on things, and that was my job. And then I realized, ooh, I probably should go back to school. Well, yeah, I was wondering how that work there helped you, you because you yeah. were with a variety of people, and yeah. how did that help? You know, I think it was, um, it, it really was good to, it's, to understand the value of the work that every single person does, right? Good for you. Um, yeah. And that th it is hard physical work, and I, it was, the people I worked with were wonderful people. Mm -hmm. um, for me, it, it made me just realize um, if I didn't go to college, as my parents had tried to tell me for a long time, it's, it would, I would have a tougher life, you know? And, and so I learned a lot from the people I worked with, but I also realized that I wanted to go, go to college. And some people really do have to work hard physically. Yes, yes. And it's a good thing because we have needs for all these things. Everybody needs these things, but some people are working really hard oh, in physical yes. jobs and maybe not getting paid as much. Very much so. And not everybody can go to college right after high school. It you know, they, they should take some yes, time off. Yes, I'm grateful that my parents. A little bit. Yes, I'm grateful they didn't pressure me um, to go when I wasn't ready. So Smart parents. It was a good. It was a really good um, year for me to give me that time to really think about what I wanted to do. So then where did that take you? So then I went to a community college for two years mm -hmm. um, in Rochester, New York. And I think, you know, that education, um, starting out in a two-year school and a community college was a great foundation for me. I had gr wonderful um, professors. Um, and that's where I was able to be like, okay, now I'm going to take my academic career seriously. Uh, yeah. um, and then I transferred to um, a four-year uh private college, uh, Alfred University in, in New York also. I well, think community colleges are wonderful. They are. They I'm are. All for them. Yes. It's a good middle ground. Yes. And it makes good financial teetering. sense too, mm -hmm. right? Oh, to start definitely. There. Yeah, yeah, they're good. Um, so after that, what was the next step when you graduated from the four-year I worked um, for a nonprofit senior living organization in Western New York, in Horseheads, New York, which is right near Corning. Oh. And I was the community relations assistant, which meant I was working in the fundraising department. So I did that for two years there, and then I realized I wanted to go back to graduate school. And it, um, graduate school, what, what did you, what was your aim? Um, I, well, I wanted to get further education. Um, I was thinking about getting my MBA, but then I thought, you know, I, I don't really see myself in like a field, a manufacturing field or something like that. I really wanted to um, have a career in, in service and working with people. And so uh, I got my master's at the Cornell Hotel School, mm -hmm. which is very much a, um, it's like an MBA, but it's very focused on, on service and supportive services and all the kinds of things that have to do with restaurants and hotels. So that's where I got my master's. Well, from. you had some experience living in a hotel for a number of days. I, yes. <laughs> what did you learn during that experience? You know, yeah, I had... This a, is a story from the book, by is. the way. It is, <laughs> yeah. Um, I had the great opportunity... Uh, during a winter break to go through through my through the university to go work for um, the Four Seasons 
in Seattle. Um, and I think my project, I was studying housekeeping and efficiencies and how do things work. And so I, they put me up in this beautiful suite and it was, a, I mean, it was gorgeous. It was a, a beautiful hotel. And I, I realized, and it really has taught me things over time, how lonely I was being in a hotel for two weeks um, and not having friends and not having any other than me doing my work um, and studying things and working in the housekeeping department. I, I didn't have much else in my life, and, and it, I really got kind of sad and lonely. And then you also stayed in a nursing home. We called it that nursing home in those days for 24 hours, and your reaction to that was yeah. amazing. That was, so that was um, in my first job as a, a nursing home administrator. So I was in, in the position kind of like what Maddie Chapman is in here at a life plan community where I was responsible for the health suites. That was quite an experience. That was, and they hired me when I didn't know anything. Like I was like 26, 27 years old and didn't know the first thing about any of it. And, and I asked the team so I would understand um, what does it really mean to live in a care setting like that. I asked them to admit me as a resident for 24 hours. And they gave me diagnoses and um, they took away my contact lenses so I couldn't see it very much. <laughs> and um, I wasn't allowed to stand up on my own. And just in 24 hours, and this is a really great community, it's in Minneapolis, um, I saw how the systems and the processes of institutional nursing homes impact people. I mean, I cried my whole way home, and I was you know, sleep deprived, and mm -hmm. it taught me a lot. What I year was it, this? What year? That would have been probably 96. It was in the late 1900s. We'll put it that way. Okay. That sounds like a century ago. <laughs> yeah. That's what my how my nephew refers to it, oh. the, the 1900s. Well, the question that you had asked in your book is, what is it like to be on the receiving end mm -hmm. of services and support? Yes. You found out. I did find out. Very quickly, and it made you cry. Yes. So um, follow up with that. Then, then what was happening in your life? What... Well, you know, I really spent a lot. So I was I was at working at this community out in in Minneapolis, um, and I was determined to drive change. Right once I experienced that, and so I didn't have all the tools and processes to really start to drive that change. But I I did my best. Right, I did a lot of customer service training and really tried to work with our team to to move things forward. And and we made some good progress. Um, but it really wasn't until years later, when I had, was living out here in Colorado, that I went to a, a certified Eden associate training, kind of like the class, the Eden alternative class that was held here. Recently. Recently, a few weeks ago. Um, and that changed my world. Well, explain Eden to us, because I think probably many of us don't really understand the value and what it is. Yeah. So, so the Eden alternative itself is a nonprofit, international um, nonprofit organization. And it was founded by a geriatrician who realized that the harm that is done and the pain that, and the suffering, like if you go into a, a, a traditional institutional nursing home and you see people slumped over, mm -hmm. we've all seen that, right? Or assisted sure living too, yeah. is not because of someone's age or their physical challenges or their diagnoses. It's, it's the, really the impact on the human spirit. 
And so it's really about getting past all these institutional practices, waking people up when they don't want to be woken up, um, having the day revolve around medications and treatments, and really bringing um, life back and creating an environment where you can have a great quality of life. And so the Eden Alternative works with organizations around the world um, to drive that change. And you had an important part in that eventually. Tell yeah. us about that. Yeah, I had, so I was working at Christian Living Communities at the time, and we were using, so we started doing Eden Alternative training at Christian Living Communities, uh, it was probably 2010, so it's been a long time ago, and I had gotten very passionate about it. We were really driving change. I was the executive director at Claremont Park at the time, and the Eden Alternative CEO position opened up. Um, and this is, it, it, that's the organization that has been my, really my North Star in my career. And um, I was invited to apply for that position leading that organization. So yeah, I had the great opportunity for two and a half years before I returned to Christian Living Communities to work with people and organizations around the world. You had mentioned that, um, and I'd like to know what you mean by this, other people see you differently from how you see yourself. Oh, yes. That goes back. When we were chatting before, uh -huh. yeah, I, I, you know, I've, I think a lot of people experience this, um, a lot of women especially, and there's actually a name for it. It's called imposter syndrome, mm. where you are given these opportunities and put in these positions where, and this is what happened with the Eden Alternative, right, is they said, you should apply for this job. And I thought, are you crazy? I can't do that job. It's all this self-doubt that we have, um, despite what our success has been. Mm -hmm. And so so other people are saying, you've got this. And we're saying to ourselves, oof, I don't know. You, it, I'm a, right, you, you don't really know who I am if you think I can do this. <laughs> and it's been something I've had to work on. And, and I talk. Lack of self-esteem. Yeah. And, and a lack of self-confidence. Yeah. And women in particular, in leaders, um, experience this a lot. And it's, it's interesting when you, you know, you read about other people, like there are all kinds of famous people and very accomplished people that have those same feelings that you would never know, right? And what's it called? Imposter syndrome. Imposter syndrome. Yeah, where you kind of question yourself. Other people see you as more capable than you are, but it's better than the opposite. Yes. Which is you yes. think you're really capable. Yes. And everybody else is like, Ooh. You set yourself up for failure <laughs> that way. Yeah. But you have now proved certain things that your abilities can stretch. Where? When was the time that you fought the federal government? Oh. <laughs> <laughs> so again, so back... So after leaving Minneapolis, I transferred with my company. I was, again, in that associate executive director role, kind of like what Maddie has here, at a community in Hilton Head, South Carolina. And we had our annual inspection, our survey. The, the, the federal government and the state government on their behalf came in. And we had um, a really bad deficiency. Um, one of the, the exit doors did not alarm on the day that they came in. And they gave us a tag that is called an immediate jeopardy, which is something you never want to have. Um, I didn't. We, we didn't believe it was fair. We didn't. Nobody was at risk. Nothing bad happened to any residents, and so we fought it at the state level and didn't get anywhere. And 
I so the, I talked to my boss at the time, and I'm like, I want to keep fighting this with CMS. Like, let's go, let's do this because this isn't <laughs> right. And I, my team was devastated. The residents and families were like, this isn't an accurate representation of our community. You felt like such a failure. Right. And I felt like, I mean, it crushed me. Yeah, I remember calling my mom and dad at like two in the morning, just devastated. And I was so young and I really didn't, you know, have the resilience that I think it takes time to grow. Um, but anyway, my company said, well, we're not going to invest all this money in an attorney. Like, just let it go. And I said, no, I'm not going to let this go. This is wrong. Yes, girl. And so I said, I'm going to fight CMS on my own. And I, re- I, Good for you. I, I tried for probably like six months. And I remember getting letters from the federal government with my name on it. And um, I eventually had to say, okay, I've given this my best shot. Um, but I tried. Well, your staff knew that you were supporting them and, yep. and your community yeah and your team and the team yeah and the residents I mean everyone was just heartbroken and uh, (laughs) it was something else well there's someone in your life named Todd (laughs) talk about Todd yeah so Todd is my wonderful husband we've been married for 14 years Uh and um, how did you meet we actually met online years ago. One of my friends said, you really should try this after I moved to Denver. You should try this. And, and I had the great fortune of meeting Todd Awesome. And I thought, well, pff, with that last name, how can I go around with that? Um, and, you know, whenever my job, I put my all into it. Like, it, my career is not, it's not just a job, right? And so it becomes part of who I am. And sure. it takes so much of my energy and my attention I'm so passionate about it and Todd is the reason that I'm able to to do the work that I do because he believes in me when I have imposter syndrome Todd's like <laughs> you're not seeing yourself the, the the way you know the in reality and he supports me in in everything and um I'm very lucky to be married to him. He calls himself Cinderella um, <laughs> because he um, he does has some magic going on too, doesn't he? Yes, he does everything around the house. And then we have, and I bet a lot of you wish you had this. We have a magic closet at our house where it always magically has toilet paper and paper towels and soap. Poof! I don't have to do a thing. It's it's magical. All those things you'd hate to yes. be without. That's right. That's right. So he, he's a, he's come a, home from work and he'd he, have dinner. He ready. makes dinner for me. Oh, oh, he wow. really is a, a wonderful man. Well, I'm so happy you have that kind of support, yes, and he's right. happy to and have you. He travels quite a bit too in his company. He, he does. He travels a lot for work, so he's well, yeah. he's gone quite a bit, but. I'm very lucky to be married to him. He's yeah. wonderful. Well, back to your career. In Claremont Park, there was a major construction going on. It affected uh, you, the residents. Um, I can't imagine for five, you spent four of those five years there. Tell us what you observed with the people and how they felt and how was some of these things yeah. solved. So when I started at Claremont Park in 2009, um, we were get, so Claremont Park is the original campus. It used to be called University Hills Christian Nursing Home, the original campus of Christian Living Communities. And when I started there, we were um, in the midst of a complete campus redevelopment. Um, so we were 
Were buildings being taken down? Yes. Okay. Yeah. So we were, when I got there, we were building the new health suites. Um, and so there was an old nursing home, the old institutional nursing home. We were getting, we were, the foundation had been laid. We were building a new one. Um, when that got finished, we tore down the existing nursing home. And it was kind of like puzzle pieces um, where you have to move things around to make things work because it's a very small site. And so once the old skilled nursing community was torn down, then we built new life plan apartment homes on that campus. And so it was, the residents there, really, they lived in a construction zone for if, if five to six years. I mean, constant. That's, um, that's pretty difficult. It was pretty difficult, but it was also a great opportunity for people. Um, you know, we, we had... That's a really interesting campus because there is um, HUD affordable housing on the campus. Great. Um, and then there's very moderate rental apartment homes. And then we built new life plan apartment homes also during that process, which is similar to the contract that's here at Holly Creek. And the goal was, and we built a new health suites also, the goal was to bring everybody together. You know, what can happen sometimes in projects like that is it ends up being, well, these people have money and these people don't have money and you know and these people live in the health nursing home and the and, and the goal was to bring everybody together and, and create how did you do that how the, did you combine the well it it wasn't me it was t it was the people that live in that community we really we had a lot of meetings and a lot of discussions about what kind of community did we want this to be and what did they do they they really did a lot of work um with the other residents and talking about how, what things can we be doing here to make sure that everyone experiences belonging? Um, what are the things that we're doing right now that maybe are not um, it, making people feel like they truly belong? How are we going to welcome these new people moving into our community? How are we, you know, the residents there said, well, we want to make sure we're supporting our neighbors that are living with dementia, and we want to make sure we are including the people that live in the memory support neighborhood in our world so can we get some education on how do you properly support somebody living with dementia um, and it, it really was I mean it was it surpassed my expectations um, in creating a an inclusive um, community that continues to this day um, and it's really the power of the people that live in that community made it happen what a wonderful community yes it is it's pretty special yeah. It's pretty special. All the all of, you know, Holly, uh, Holly Creek, Summer Glen, Claremont Park, all of our communities have their own personalities, and they all are amazing. How long were you there? I was there, I think it was five or six years, and then I moved over to the Capella Division for a couple of years with CLC. Capella is? That's our the part of Christian Living Communities that does provides management for other communities we don't own them but we manage and then also some consulting work really have stretched out <laughs> this claremont original plan to quite a large group of help these are all in colorado now we are all are in they? colorado yes we have nine communities that we either own or manage and we are mm -hmm. in home care rhythms home care and we're all in colorado do you have to go visit them i do i don't go to the steamboat community in the winter 
I learned that <laughs> lesson. For my first drive Don't up there, sleep? I got caught in a, in a whiteout on Rabbit Ears Pass. So. Well, tell us, what that. do you do for stress modifiers, as you call oh, it? Oh, so um, I do a lot of walking. I got that from my mom, right? Mm, she always said, great. get outside. If you're feeling down, get outside and move your body. How frequently we like saw the, the two of them. the stink <laughs> off of you, she used to say. Um, and... Um, so a lot of hiking, walking. We have a Bernese Mountain Dog oh, that we enjoy beautiful. being outdoors with. They're wonderful. And I've been taking a lot of art classes lately. Um, we actually have a little art space in my in the basement in um, the Curtis Art Center, part of the Greenwood Village City. Uh huh. That's not too far away from here. They have amazing art classes. Amazing art classes. So I've been signing up for those and taking mm. those classes, and I just really find that creating outlets and and letting creativity into my life really helps me with stress and it also helps me with leadership too right because this is all creativity um trying to make sure you know we're seeing things in from different perspectives we have so many artists here holly creek it just amazes me yes there's a lot of talent here there certainly is well I want to talk about your book just for a brief time. We've mentioned quite a bit from it before, but the name of your book is Disrupting the Status Quo of Senior Living, a Mindset. That's a lot. A lot, a big long title? No, <laughs> no, I a tried mindset. To it, but my publisher wouldn't go for to it. To disrupt the mindset because yeah. we are fast in our mindsets at yeah, this age. Yeah. A mind shift. Well, we so, all, nobody likes change, right? A it's mind tough. shift. That's right. Um, the book is in our library. You're going to put some more books yes. in there. I've read it a couple of times and underlined like crazy because there's so much good in that book. Well, thank uh, you. Your experiences, but you, you're not afraid to talk about some things that you would do differently now because you've learned other ways. Absolutely. Uh, I think everyone should read it. Everyone here at Holly Creek should pick up that book. Well, I, I will get some I more copies in the library. <laughs> yeah. I ordered mine from Amazon, and I've read it several times. Oh, well, thank you. So take a look down there. It will be in the main library, in the author, in our... Um, Resident authors, we have a part. Sandy, we do. do we, we have, have a resident? A, we have a section. So resident there. authors, yeah, mm-hmm. and and take that out because um, it it all makes sense. You're you on a good mission, and it all makes sense as to what you're doing. And now you've got this wonderful position of president and CEO of CLC. Well, you know, the book is really a, a, most of it is about Christian living communities which I love, mm-hmm. right, and all of the, the great things that happen here at Christian Living Communities and mm-hmm. lessons, that, right, like you said, lessons I've learned along the way because if we aren't learning, then we're not growing and yeah. we have to, as and leaders, we have to keep growing. with future ideas, too. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Well, I'd like to say that um, you are gifted. Many people have noticed that. Maybe you haven't noticed all of your gifts, <laughs> and maybe they're still coming, oncoming, but... I think it's wonderful that you'll share them with Holly Creek <laughs> today. I'm thrilled to be here with you. Thank you. We're so happy that you're here. We appreciate it so much. We've had some good conversations with CLC people and uh, hope to have more. So, Jill, our thanks to you. Um, keep using these wonderful gifts you've been given. Share them. 
in the snow with a grateful. And that's Wanderings for today. So long.